Good evening. We're in 1 Corinthians 4. We'll be looking at verses 8 to 21. If you have a Bible, perhaps turn with me to 1 Corinthians 4. We'll read from verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labour, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not exist, consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Should I come to you with a rod or with love? in a spirit of gentleness. So may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. The Corinthian churches have descended into division and judgmentalism, driven by the sin of pride. They've been boasting in themselves. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians to address these issues. We began looking at chapter four a little while back, And verses 1 to 5 tell us that Paul is teaching us how to deal with pride and judgmentalism when we're on the receiving end of other people's prejudices, when they judge us. Last time we looked at verses 6 and 7 where Paul helps us with pride and judgmentalism and the division that it can cause when we find that pride lurking and festering in our own hearts. And Paul now is making two final points about pride and division at Corinth. In verses 8 to 13 he deals with the Corinthians faulty expectations and then in verses 14 to 21 he has a concluding family exhortation. Let's look at verses 8 to 13 faulty expectations. We know this but faulty expectations can take the joy out of almost anything. And if we're not careful, faulty expectations can even fracture relationships. And that is what was happening at Corinth. Faulty expectations had begun to fracture relationships and cause division. They had wrong expectations about the nature of the Christian life. Verses 8 to 13. These are the things that the Corinthians were saying about themselves. And Paul is reflecting back to them, to his readers, with more than just a touch of biting irony, almost sarcasm. Look at it in verse 8. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you become kings. You could paraphrase. You think that all the glories to come have already dawned upon you. 
in their fullness. If only it were true. Or look down at verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour. See, that's how the Corinthians saw themselves. They were boasting in their spiritual superiority. They boasted in their supernatural gifts, as we will see as the letter unfolds. They boasted in their special wisdom and insight. After all, they were saying, has not Jesus died and risen again? The end of the ages has come. The scriptures have been fulfilled. The new world is already here. Their problem is that they looked into the wonderful realities of the gospel into which they had been swept by the work of the Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus. And they said, we've got it all already. It is all here already. There is nothing more. And their conclusion was that Christians should expect their fullest joys here on earth, their highest blessings here their sweetest experiences of grace here. There ought to be no suffering, no sadness, no poverty, no pain here. They're saying this is what we have in Christ. So we have all we want. We're rich. We've already begun to reign. We're wise. We're strong. We're honourable. And the key word in the text that I think sums up their view of the fullness of Christian blessing in this world is the word already. Because it's repeated twice in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. They were claiming in advance already right now something that is only to be fulfilled at the end. You see, they were saying that if you are really living a faithful Christian life, if you're really spiritual, if you really have faith, this is what you can expect in your life. Heaven on earth already, the new creation has come victory over sin and suffering and sorrow already your best life now no wonder they had a pride problem no wonder they looked down on others in their churches that did not quite measure up whose sufferings obviously identified them as being less spiritual whose battle with remaining sin demonstrated that they were second class paul doesn't stand for any of it While the Corinthians think that you can have the fullness of Christian blessing here, if you only believed enough or were spiritual enough, Paul knows better. Look at how he contrasts himself, the Apostle Paul, with them. Verse 9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we in disrepute. They were claiming that the truly spiritual Christian lives in the heights of victory, but the mighty apostle Paul himself is a public spectacle, a man sentenced to death, counted a fool for Christ's sake, weak and held in disrepute. And if the key word that sums up the Corinthians' mistaken and faulty expectations is the word already... The world to come is ours already. Look at Paul's alternative corrective in verse 11. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and so on. Paul is not living in the world to come. He lives in the present hour. The Corinthians claimed 
that what was still not yet had come to them already. But Paul models a different approach entirely, one that recognises that glory is wonderfully promised to us. It is not yet. So he lives in the present hour in the world where to follow Jesus, where to where to where, you know, where to believe the claims of Jesus will mean hunger and deprivation. He does manual labour to eke out a living. He is reviled, though he blesses in return. He's persecuted and he blesses in return. He endures. He is slandered. He entreats. He pleads with sinners through the gospel to be reconciled to God. He has become like the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. And Paul says that is his normal Christian life. Will you have right expectations, Corinthians, is his plead. If you're looking for daily triumph, if you're expected to ride the heights and rise above sin and suffering, if you think to yourself, if only I had enough faith, things would be better. Your expectations are tragically wrong. And one of two things will happen if you buy into this mistake, this big mistake that the Corinthians make. First of all, you will deceive yourself into thinking you are better than the rest. You will begin to boast in your spiritual superiority and lord it over others. That's one result. The other result, you will conclude that your failure to reach nirvana now is your fault. So you become introverted. What a wonderful failure I am. What a terrible failure I am. This is why I'm suffering. What weak faith I have. This is why I struggle to make ends meet. What a devastating lie of the devil the prosperity gospel is. But how easily it creeps into the thinking of the very best among us. I've even heard mature Christians say, for what sin of mine is God punishing me that life should be so hard for so long? Maybe you've said it. Why is this happening to me? Maybe I've missed something. Maybe there's something I should do, some level to which I must attain in my Christian life that will make it all go away. But Paul says, no, you need to understand the times. This is where we live now. We don't yet live in the world to come. That is not yet. Whatever the Corinthians claim, the glories to follow when sin is no more, when tears are wiped away, when regret will never trouble us and suffering will never again intrude. The glories to follow will come soon one day, but not yet. To the present hour to follow the Lord Jesus, Paul says, means joy wonderfully. It does mean joy, but it means joy through tears. Progress in holiness. Today, I am not what I was yesterday and tomorrow, by God's grace, I will be not. I will not be who I am today. But it will be slow progress, half one progress imperfect progress till we go to be with Jesus one day at last but it does need supernatural power flooding our lives to say yes Lord when he calls us to do hard things but it's power displayed in weakness the power of the cross faulty expectations are a fertile seedbed for pride or for despair get your expectations of the normal Christian life right Live in the present hour, not yet in the world to come. Faulty expectations. Secondly, Paul offers a family exhortation. 
You see the warm family language all over the last part of the chapter. Let's look at verses 14 and 15, just for example. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul planted the church. He led many of them to faith. He is like their spiritual father, a parent to many through the gospel. And he has adopted a rather biting tone in verses 8 to 13. But now as a parent towards his child, he softens. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to parent you, to admonish you as my beloved children. Mothers use all their tools at their disposal to reach their children and get through to them. Especially if they see children taking wrong turns. Mothers admonish us as beloved children and it stings sometimes. But it is love that's the motivation. And we are much the better for it. And that is what Paul is up to here. His children in the faith, who he loves so deeply, are about to drive off a cliff and he's trying to steer them back to safety. They're boasting it out of control. So because he loves them like a father, he admonishes them. And he uses three parenting tools to drive the point home. In verse 16, he models the right course for his children in the faith. Be imitators of me. Instead of the triumphalism that marked the Corinthians, he wants to show them the normal Christian life. So he calls them to imitate him in all the struggling and suffering and demands of perseverance, which is the call of the Christian life. Imitate me. Second parenting tool is to deploy big brother and I'm not talking about the current snitch on your neighbours you know if they cough in the street you know look at verse 17 that is why I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church sometimes big brother can get through where daddy and mummy can't Paul sends them Timothy who reminds them of Paul both by the way he lives and by his teaching. Verse 3, I've just entitled this third family exhortation, um, do not make me come up there. Verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Paul is pursuing the Corinthians. He's using parental tools in his tool bag to bring them back from pride to repentance and humility. He's even prepared to bring discipline to them. Verse 21, he wants them to come. He wants them to have a spirit of love and gentleness. And he wants to come to them in that spirit. But if he has, if he has to exercise discipline among them when he comes, he is prepared to do that. How they respond to the family admonition will determine which route he takes. But his agenda is to win them, to call them to repentance, not to dismiss them, to win them, much less to shame them or to wound them. So he says, when I come, I'm going to shine a spotlight on the spiritual authenticity of the arrogant leaders of Corinth who are causing division and trouble among you. In other words, he's saying, I want to see if they're all talk or whether they 
know anything about the reality of supernatural power. That is the essence of the kingdom of God. Not talk, but power. Reality, spiritual reality. Do they know anything about spiritual reality? And that is the question that he wants them to be asking themselves in advance of his coming. It is the question he wants us to be asking ourselves as we read his words. Is my Christian life a matter of talk or do I know spiritual reality? Is it only words and show or do I know something of the power of the cross, the power of grace, the power and work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? That is what Paul is after, to call us to assess our hearts, to challenge us to get real at last. He wants to call them these Corinthians who prized oratory and rhetoric and who dismissed Paul as inferior to understand that mere talk is so much irrelevance and life and power are what we need. So let me close our little study this evening with this. Suppose as you interrogate your own Christian life, you discover that in fact it has been head knowledge and talk for too long. Suppose you've been led by God under the ministry of his word to confess that it is all show. Well, what now? What do you do if you make that discovery this evening? I do believe that there are clues for us in the passage. One of them comes out if you look back at the portion we read where Paul is going to send them Timothy in verse 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He's called them to imitate him. He wants to model spiritual reality and he sent Timothy to remind them of what it should look like. His ways in Christ. Spiritual reality, the way that is real in Christ. What do you do if you find that your Christianity is an outward show, not an inner reality? What do you do if it is only talk, no power? You need to run to Jesus Christ. You need to get into Christ. Today, now, this evening, no more excuses, no more delay. Do not bring your pedigree. Do not plead your religious credentials. It is time to come clean because that is what Paul is after among the Corinthians. Time to get real. Time to confess your sin and your need and to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ for reality and not only religious performance. Not externals, not a form of words that denies its power. That Jesus Christ will break into your life and begin that glorious, though slow and oftentimes hard renovation project in your heart. If you will but humble yourself and come to Jesus. And that is what he's calling the Corinthians to. That is what he's calling us to. To interrogate our hearts. Is my Christianity only talk? Or do I know the power in which consists the kingdom of God? And so there is a call here to get our expectations right about the nature of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but he will be with you to strengthen and sustain you every step of the way. It will be hard. There is wonderful glory to come. But right now, it is not yet. And we're called to search our hearts in the light of Paul's family exhortation. Are you for real? Or is it mere talk? Oh, come to Jesus. 
Come and bend the knee to King and Lord Jesus and get real at last.